Welcome to the Screenagers podcast. I'm Delaney Rustin, physician and the filmmaker of the Screenagers movies. Today, we're talking about teens and issues around vapes, also called e-cigarettes. There's a lot of confusion out there. So today we look at some of the health issues with e-cigarettes and how vaping companies have been able to use social media to attract young users. We unmask some of the nefarious actions of this industry and discuss research that points the way to helping safeguard youth against this industry. Let's start by hearing from one adolescent who spoke with me about things she sees on TikTok. On TikTok, there's a lot of micro-influencers who have posts like vaping. There was a big trend that was like rubber ducky, that kind of like normalized zins, which are like the nicotine pouches because it was like rubber ducky lip pillow or something just like funny. And so even seeing that would be a trigger for someone to be like, oh, let me hit the vape. Speaking of TikTok, in 2021, researchers analyzed hundreds of e-cigarette and vaping-related videos on the platform TikTok and found that a majority of the videos, 63%, portrayed e-cigarette use positively. Some posts were neutral, and only 13% had negative portrayals. The themes of the positive posts were things like lifestyle, comedy, creativity, and more. And that is just TikTok. Think about all the feeds from the other social media platforms. So while there's all this lightheartedness and glamorization of vaping on social media and in movies and shows, where's the information about the harms of these nicotine products? Not surprisingly, there's a lot of confusion among youth about the risks of these products. To understand this more, I sat down with Dr. Pam Ling, director of the UCSF Center for Tobacco Control Research. So a couple of years ago, we did a study where we talked to teenagers and asked them about tobacco products and vaping. And it turned out that almost one in four of the teens didn't even think that vape was a tobacco product at all. So technically, you can get nicotine from eggplant and tomatoes, but really the vast majority of nicotine uh, comes from tobacco And so products containing nicotine are tobacco products. That's how we think about them. Tobacco products. That is a key point because we will be talking about the tobacco companies. Of note, nicotine can be produced synthetically, which can be found in certain e-cigarette products. Back to Dr. Ling and her research. A lot of the teens thought that the vapes don't produce smoke. They just produce harmless water vapor. Vapes actually produce an aerosol which contains a mixture of chemicals and fine particles. It's definitely not water vapor. Water vapor is what comes out of your teapot when you're boiling your hot water, but you see that evaporates immediately. And if you see videos of people vaping, they're producing these big clouds. Those are clouds of aerosol, chemicals, and fine particles, really different from water vapor. There is an industry that produces a library of thousands of chemicals. That is surgeon Rob Jackler. He's the head of an organization that's called Stanford Research into the Impact of Tobacco Advertising. Butter-flavored popcorn has no butter in it. It has something called diacetyl compounds. We know that diacetyl compounds are really dangerous when you breathe them in. If you work in a factory making diacetyl compounds, it can rot out your lungs, causes bronchiolitis and bloodorants. We're taking these chemicals that we know are okay if you eat them into your stomach and your intestinal system, but we're vaporizing them and you're breathing it in your lungs, which are much more sensitive to these kinds of chemicals. 
why are all these flavors and their chemicals allowed? Here is Dr. Jackler again. Congress has outlawed flavors other than the flavor of tobacco from all cigarettes. But you can get e-cigarettes in any flavor you can imagine. Hundreds and hundreds of flavors. Strawberry rhubarb, uh, butter rum, cotton candy. There's nothing natural about breathing in a mist of propylene glycol and glycerin, a couple of powerful chemicals on the lungs. We don't know the effects of many of these flavor compounds that are irritants to the lung. We do know that when you vape, the lining of your lung becomes inflamed. And we know that Chronic inflammation over and over again is one of the substrates, the, the things that leads to failure of the lungs, scarring of the lungs, and frankly, inflammation over and over leads to cancer. Mm -hmm. So we won't know the teenager beginning vaping today who stays with vaping over the long term, says heart, or, or maybe graduates to other products to satisfy their nicotine addiction. They may be dying just as much as people who smoke cigarettes. We just won't know for 30 or 40 years. Here's Dr. Ling talking about smoking and cardiovascular disease. For some things like cardiovascular disease, which actually kills more people in the U.S. than lung cancer, even smoking one cigarette a day or smoking one cigarette every once in a while has equal cardiovascular risk to smoking more cigarettes. Our vascular systems are very sensitive to smoke. Just one cigarette every once in a while. Wow, even I as a doctor didn't know this. That's with tobacco cigarettes. What about with e-cigarettes? There have been some studies now looking at the effects of vape aerosol on the vascular system, and the aerosol seems to be just as bad as the smoke from cigarettes. There's lots of concerns with e-cigarettes. It can impact brain development. It's highly addictive, as we all know. And the question really is, how is it that these companies like Juul have been able to get away with hooking so many users, young users, to their products? Regular cigarettes have been going down and down and down. And the tobacco industry was very frightened because they, they know their only new customers are teenagers who start. Now, let's say that you are the founders of an e-cigarette company like Juul, and you say, we're here to help adult smokers. Well, you would design your advertising to appeal to mature adult smokers. Let me just highlight what Jackler said. Indeed, the founders of Juul, the company most responsible for kicking off our current vaping epidemic, would tell that they were all about disrupting big tobacco. And yet they did not create ads depicting older smokers, who were the main smokers of the day since smoking was at an all-time low for young people. Instead, what they did is they came out with advertising that was squarely targeted to young people to make Juul cool. The tobacco industry is long known that showing young people in their 20s behaving like teenagers, 15 to 17, is exactly how you target teenagers. Because teenagers want to be like their older brothers and sisters. Juul did exactly this. Juul copied the playbook of Big Tobacco in the ways that it targets young people. And guess what? It worked. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, none of them allow paid advertising by tobacco or e-cigarette brands. It's not allowed. But they use organic social media. By that, you create an identity 
and you put the marketing material up in the content and then you use a hashtag and hashtags are really potent. So they would pay influencers. Just like Big Tobacco back in the day leveraged their connections in Hollywood to get favorable depictions of cigarettes onto the silver screen, e-cigarette makers strive to get their products into the hands of attractive and hip people. We're talking about online influencers. So they would take, you know, famous singers or they would take cool people that have, you know, large followers on Instagram. Hey, if you've got 10,000 followers or 100,000 or a million followers, it's bankable. What they really want is viral marketing, where the teenagers become members of their marketing crew by saying how much they like it and how cool it is and how it's the best thing to do. And they do vape tricks and they put five jewels in their mouth or whatever. That's very influential, but it was engineered. These companies have resources to hire top-notch advertisers and get lots of input into how to use social media. These companies know what they're doing. That happened not by accident, but by a purposeful plan on the part of the company to make its product to be virally popular in a fad amongst teens. Once it becomes a fad, they can turn off their own, but they lit the fire and the fire takes off. And typically what the company does, Jewel, for example, they go, we didn't do anything to cause that, right? You know, the firemen came Oh my God, look at that huge fire. Well, it wasn't us. Well, it was them. And we know that very well. And we can prove and show the steps that Juul did in the design and implementation of its marketing that directly led to the popularity amongst teens. I wonder what we know about these marketing efforts. I mean, we know influencers have been critical to the success of these companies. But are they as effective if viewers know that influencers are being paid to endorse the product? These endorsements are a type of advertising. Dr. Pam Ling has studied this exact question. We did a study to look at whether or not the ad contains a hashtag that says this is paid affects how attractive the ad is to the viewer. We took a bunch of young adults and we randomized them and we showed them posts that were exactly the same, except some of them said hashtag paid ad. And some of them just looked like posts with no disclosure. Before and after they saw the ads, we asked about their interest in vaping, how likely they would to try it. So some of the posts had hashtags saying the post was sponsored and others did not. Did it make a difference in the influence the post had on a viewer's desire to want to vape? We did find that with these hashtags of paid ad, people did perceive the influencer to be less credible and they recognized that it was an ad, but they were equally likely to be interested in using the vape regardless of the hashtag. Knowing that these influencers were paid to endorse vaping didn't decrease the likelihood of viewers saying that the post triggered them to want to vape. We do want them to disclose that it's sponsored because that's honesty. But if you think that that's enough to decrease vaping uptake from Instagram influencers, it's not going to do anything. Given all the forces trying to get young people interested in using vapes and other nicotine products, what can we do to help protect young people against all of this? 
One way has to do with research that has shown that when young people are told how they are being manipulated by companies such as Big Pharma or Big Sugar, they are more likely to make healthier decisions around such products. For this reason, it's important for teens to know that these cigarette companies are being deceitful at times and manipulative. And not just with consumers, but with employees at times. And this brings me back to Juul. If you recall, I mentioned that the founders of the company talked about how they were there to disrupt big tobacco. Juul and many of the e-cigarettes do that. We're here to disrupt the evil tobacco industry. They're all bad and we're all good. That kind of cause-based marketing resonates not only with customers, but even their workforce. Their workforce was a bunch of 20-somethings. So what happens? All of a sudden in December 2018, Juul goes with the evil empire. The empire strikes and they go with Altria, the maker of the world's number one cigarette, Marlboro leading youth initiation cigarette in America and the leading adult cigarette in America. They come together with them. And oh, by the way, they're going to co-market it so that Juul is next to Marlboro on the shelves behind all those convenience stores and gas stations across America. And in fact, Altria makes a deal to assure that Juul will be in tens of thousands more retail places than they were before. So yeah, the mask came off. Really what Juul was always about was making money, making the big killing. Now, I'll give you an idea. When Altria bought into Juul, it bought 35% of them. That 35% was $12.8 billion. Now, I don't know if you can conceive of how big that is. It's enormous. I know what you're thinking. All these employees just got the rug pulled out from under them. They thought they were working against big tobacco, and instead, the company sold out to big tobacco. If I was an employee... I would have wanted to quit. Of that $12.8 billion, only $200 million went into the company. The rest of it went to the founders, the investors, and very cleverly, it went to the employees. Why? Because when the 20-something idealistic workforce who thought they were disrupting big tobacco realized they're suddenly working for a big tobacco company, many of them would have quit. So they got golden handcuffs. And what they did is they said, okay, the average was $1.3 million. So we say, okay, you're going to make, mil- if you stay with us, and they paid it in biannual payments over a two-year period. You, If you left and you quit in anger, you got none of it. If you stayed on, you became rich. This explains why many of the employees didn't quit. That story is so disheartening. There's something else disheartening, and that concerns how it was that Juul and other companies were able to get their products so widespread in the first place. This is researcher Dr. Pam Ling once again. In part, that's because initially when the FDA started to regulate tobacco, they had authority over cigarettes and cigars and smokeless tobacco, but vapes were just being introduced at the time. The FDA tried to stop the import of vapes saying that they were an unregulated drug. They went to court and the court ruled against them and said that they would be tobacco products and should come under tobacco regulation for the FDA. But it takes years and years for the FDA to be able to exert its authority and then actually put rules in place. So the FDA was basically paying catch up to a very aggressive industry out to make as much money as they could as fast as they could. 
What it comes down to is the e-cigarette companies move fast and the Food and Drug Administration couldn't keep up. E-cigarette companies also have teams of lawyers strategically navigating the best way to get their products to market with as little regulatory interference as possible. One option that could have been true for vapes would have been they could have been certified as a smoking cessation therapy, just like nicotine gum, the nicotine patch, or some of the medications. However, because they were classified as tobacco products, that meant they could just go on the market. And as long as they didn't make cessation claims, they could be sold. So it was faster for the industry just to go on the market and not bother with all the science and all the application process that new drugs have to go through. So these companies can't advertise e-cigarettes as a way to quit smoking, but they did strongly hint at it. What the companies did was even though they weren't allowed to make smoking cessation claims, we did a study looking at the marketing and advertising on websites for vapes, and they very much had that implicit message. So they would have people saying, I'm no longer smoking and I'm using this vape. So it was very common for people to get the impression that vaping was a good way to quit smoking. Shrewd, deceitful marketing, loopholes that the Food and Drug Administration and a bombardment of viral messaging gave rise to the popularity of the e-cigarette among teens. I'm such a believer in helping young people understand how they're being manipulated and help them to get active. And that really can lead to healthier choices. Pam shares another study on this topic. One of the things we've been studying is whether or not if you get involved in tobacco issues or activism, can that affect your behavior? I did a whole bunch of work in bars with young adults who smoke and drink. And we would recruit a bunch of artists and local like bartenders and other folks to try to quit smoking. And the thing that kind of converted them was they got involved in the issue. They started making some art about something about the tobacco industry that pissed them off. And then that kind of gave them a different reason or a different kind of more meaningful reason not to smoke. And I wonder if this may be a compliment to working on nicotine and managing your feelings if we get teens involved in taking action against the vaping industry, getting involved in the issue, looking at what's happening in your community. That can be another motivation or another reason not to do it. Pam has teenagers, and I ask how this knowledge has impacted her parenting. We do a lot of activism, and so my mm -hmm. kids have handed out flyers for when there were the San Francisco flavor ban, and I made them, like, go door to door and put flyers on the door <laughs> throughout the neighborhood. They were, like, totally embarrassed to do that because they were like, we only go, the only time you go up to people's strangers' doors is trick-or-treating on Halloween, right? So they were embarrassed to do it, but they did it, and they were then really invested in whether or not this law passed because they had put some shoe leather into it. When the San Francisco flavor ban succeeded, my kids were really proud because they felt like they worked on that, even though I, you know, forced them. But <laughs> Forcing our kids to do things, I know that sounds a little harsh, but parenting is sometimes getting our kids to do things that they aren't eager to do. Pam's kids would not have experienced feeling like they were making a difference or the pride that they felt when the law passed if they hadn't gone out with their mom and done these things. 
the art of parenting is finding a good midpoint between warmly demanding certain things and letting them drive their own ship at other times. Today, we explored the intersection of screen time and its influence on young people's potential use of e-cigarettes and other nicotine products. We looked at some health risks and ways vaping companies use social media to reach youth and looked at solutions, specifically the benefits of talking with youth about how they're being manipulated by these companies and how getting involved in working against e-cigarette use can help prevent and stop use. And by the way, our latest Screenagers film, Screenagers Under the Influence, delves deeper into how the tech revolution has impacted teens' decisions around vaping and other substances and offers plenty of solutions on how all of us, including parents, schools, and youth, can positively impact these issues. That's it for this episode, but do check out ScreenagersMovie.com where you can learn about our three Screenagers movies, sign up for my weekly blog, and get all sorts of other parenting resources. Plus, you'll find the show notes with more information about the guests, the studies, and more. Make sure to follow this podcast to get future episodes and please rate it. The Screenagers podcast is produced by me, your host, Delaney Rustin, Lisa Tab, and Alan Gofinski. Alan also does our sound editing.